Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. The most important thing here is that the human fabric in any organization any team, any ecosystem is the most important one. When you align people to an outcome or a purpose, they'll figure out all the techniques that are necessary to do it. Sometimes they'll pull off magic when they are called to action. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Leadership Podcast brought to you by ELC, the engineering leadership community. I'm Jerry Lee, founder of ELC. And I'm Patrick Gallagher, and we're your hosts. Our show shares the most critical perspectives, habits, and examples of great software engineering leaders to help evolve leadership in the tech industry. This episode features a session from our 2022 virtual ELC Summit with Sri Shivananda and Joel Beasley, covering some of the principles and frameworks that have made the greatest impact on Sri's career as an engineering leader. They explore Sri's approach to organizational transformation, Sri's cows method to pick the right technology, build versus buy, different areas to look for when you're building a pipeline of leadership, and different ways to recognize and disrupt your patterns through self-reflection. So let me introduce you to Sri and Joel. Sri Shivananda is Executive Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at PayPal. Prior to that, he served as VP of Global Platform and Infrastructure, responsible for all core technologies covering PayPal's data centers, internal private cloud, online and offline data infrastructure, internal developer frameworks and tools, and various platform services. And before his time at PayPal, Shri was with eBay for 12 years, working his way up from software engineer to vice president of global platform and infrastructure. Joel Beasley is podcast host and CTO at Modern CTO and the CTO of LeaderBits with clients from startups to billion-dollar companies. He's also the founder of the Beasley Foundation, a charity that designs STEM-related children's books that are then donated to orphanages, homeless pregnant women, and children in need. If you like our podcast, you should definitely check out The Modern CTO with Joel. Modern CTO interviews high-profile executives in the leadership and technology space. Check them out and have a listen at moderncto.io. Enjoy this conversation with Sri Shivananda and Joel Beasley. So to talk about some technology, leadership, engineering topics, I want to touch briefly on skill sets, tool sets, mindsets. That's a lot. That's three different things. I was hoping you could give me just like a general overview of what those things are. Absolutely. You know, I talk about transformations all the time. Any organization, any leader is dealing with a lot of change in the ecosystem. That change may be coming from what the customers want. That change may be coming from how competition is evolving. Sometimes it may come from the needs of compliance because the regulators are evolving as well. So there's a lot of change in the ecosystem. The pandemic was yet another change that everybody had to deal with. So every organization is in a continuous state of transformation. Now, what I say is when leaders lead transformation, they had to make sure that they take into consideration all three, a shift in mindset, a shift in skill sets and a shift in the tool sets. And you have to start in that order. 
if you start by just introducing a new technology or a tool into the ecosystem, don't expect the change to last because people don't understand what happened. They can't associate with just something like a technology or a tool. You start with the mindset. And in starting with the mindset, it's about starting with the why. It's about figuring out what is the reason we are going to go make this change? Why will it help? Things of that nature. And you also need to get into a mind frame of believing uh, that why is a real problem to solve, something that becomes a purpose for an organization. And then you get alignment. That's the reason I start with mindset. Mindset shifts have to offer first if you want changes that will last a long time. Then you want to make sure that you're picking the right tools. And in picking the right tools, you should go through a thorough process of evaluation. And by tools, I mean the full landscape of all technology. This could be a new library, it could be a new platform, it could be a new cloud provider, it could literally be a smart tool on your desktop, whatever it may be. Every company is a, a landscape of hundreds of pieces of technology. So picking that right technology should be based on uh, a right process. And we can talk about the process later if you want. But coming out of that would be the best choice you can make as an organization. Now, of course, you know the why for the change. You had the right mindset and the attitude to approach it. You had the right tool. Now you need to ensure that people in the organization are trained and upskilled and they have the awareness of what this tool can do. They also have the awareness, of course, of what the problem statement is. When you take this combination together, you creating long-lasting transformations in technology. That's the mindset, tool set, skill set framework, starting with the mindset, picking the right tool set, and then making sure that the organization has the right skill set. Okay, I want to focus on mindset for a second. So let's say we've got some engineering leaders, they're listening in, they're like, all right, that sounds good, alignment, mindset. But can you bring bring that home, something a little more concrete, like an example of how leaders would actually do that with their team? The most important thing here is that the human fabric in any organization, any team, any ecosystem is the most important one. When you align people to an outcome or a purpose, they'll figure out all the techniques that are necessary to do it. Sometimes they'll pull off magic when they're called to action. That's the reason to focus on what I call the mindset. And what does that mean? It, of course, means that you're creating clarity in vision. You're articulating that well to everybody around you. Or you have somebody who's doing that on your behalf. It doesn't always have to be the leader who comes up with the vision. But focusing on clarity and making sure everyone understands what the situation is, why something is being done, that engages them mentally and spiritually. Now, they're focused on that destination everyone needs to reach. And they'll figure out ways, both in terms of the things that they need to use to get there, and also in terms of their own effort capital and their own engagement on it. And once you get an aligned set of people going, that's what a team is all about, isn't it? And then once you have a team that's aligned, that is focused on getting to that destination, nothing's impossible. You can achieve anything that you want. So it's, think of it as the, call it the, in an interesting way, the software aspect of the organization that you need to properly seed 
and get going. So what does this look like? Clearly articulating, listening, uh, debating, inclusion of all the ideas in the ecosystem, respecting that diversity of thought and philosophy that comes in, taking all of that, being pure to that outcome that you want to achieve and making sure that uh, everyone has a common understanding and aligned purpose and an urgency for action. That's what mindset is about. And so if you're doing this, if you're going about, like, let's say that there's someone listening, their team is not really aligned. They're like, this makes perfect sense. And they're going to go try to, to do this, right? Be clear about their vision, articulate, align. But let's say, what are some of the common mistakes or issues that they might run into when doing this? There are many that happen, right? There are always those that get excited first and they're willing to jump in sometimes ahead of you, right? These folks are already in the next chapter, even before you have started to articulate what that next chapter is, right? And then there are those that come in at a pace that's a little lower. They're, they're the ones that say, okay, explain that to me, help me understand it, help me get excited about it. And you need to engage with them and get them sure. And there are some people who are going to start late. They don't believe it. Uh, they don't understand why something needs to change or happen. The most important thing here is to understand different people in the organization are at different places at the beginning of any transformation. And what you have to do is to make sure you cater the message to each individual or each subgroup to ensure that you're bringing all of them along. Trying to do a one-size-fits-all, having one town hall and announcing a transformation is not going to cut it. You do have to engage more personally, and you have to ensure that it's a two-way street. You don't know all the answers either. You discover it as a part uh, of that journey as you go through it. Well, one of the mistakes that I made early on as a leader was, you know, you mentioned those three different groups of people about people, you know, early adopters, super excited, people that want to hear more and then the people that don't believe it. At first, I thought I could get rid of the people that don't believe it, but you can't. They're just like, it's a type of person. You get a team together and there always will be somebody, you know, like that. So the mistake I was making for a while was thinking that I could stack a team to where they were all just like early adopters and loving it. But that doesn't work well either because you need a diversity of, of people on how they think and how they work as well. Exactly. Look, inclusion actually means creating that psychological safety where everyone can engage on their terms. Part of what I take as a challenge is when somebody is not coming along, I take it as a some work that I have to do to make sure I'm explaining it better. Like if the transformation is absolutely worth it, everyone will get excited when they fully understand it. You said earlier, you were talking about how to pick the right technology. There's a, there's a process for this. I want to hear it. I want it. <laughs> yeah. We follow a very method methodical process to assess technology. And in short, I can call it something like COWS, C-O-W-S. That's easy to remember. It's a four-letter acronym, C-O-W-S. So what does that stand for? C stands for criteria. Imagine you're doing all of this analysis in a spreadsheet. Think of that criteria as the rows in your spreadsheet. And O stands for options or the columns in your spreadsheet. So what's criteria? Criteria is the basis on which you're evaluating anything. In this case, the technology that you're trying to bring in to the organization or build in the organization. The options are, it could be that 
we build it in the company because it's a part of the core of what the company is doing. A second option could be that there is an open source ecosystem that you can actually uh, adopt and integrate into your ecosystem. Now, the third one may be that there is a piece of software in the industry that you can buy from a vendor and uh, use it, or maybe there is a SaaS solution. These are options. So criteria, options, that's easy. Now, all criteria are not, they have different weights. That's what W is all about. It's about making sure you put weights on each one of those criteria and ensure that not only do you have all the criteria, but you have the weights for each criteria. So you have your rows, you have your columns. So what's, what's in the cells that make up the table? It's the score. That's the S. Criteria, options, weights, and scores. Right? So you take every criteria, and for each criteria, you score every option. And you make sure that the total of all scores you give for all the options is, let's call it 100. You have to allocate 100 across those four. Right? Now you have a sheet. At the bottom of the sheet, just do wait time score for every option. So what you end up with is a mathematical score. I agree that it's not a hundred percent objective, but it comes pretty close. It's explainable. It's mathematical, it's methodical. And doing so clearly distinguishes the options. Now you have What's the top option? What is the next option? What is the third option? And so on. Somebody may come in later and say, wait, look, you didn't, you missed a criteria. No problem. Let's add the criteria and do the evaluation again. Somebody may come in and go, you missed an option. No big deal. Add the option, recompute the whole thing. And three years after you pick the solution and put the solution, somebody may come back in and say, you know, context has changed. Technologies have changed, our scale has changed, we need to relook at it. No problem, go through the exercise again and figure out how to do that. So that's the framework that um, I've used uh, for making the right kind of choice on what path we take, not just from a technology perspective, but in general, any anything. It's, uh, it could be, like I said, a, a library, a tool, a platform, uh, a cloud service, whatever it may be. And that makes it objective. It makes it explainable. It makes it something that people can look at, reason with, interrogate, and align. Patrick here with some exciting news. We now have 10 local communities of engineering leaders hosting in-person meetups all over the world. Yes, you heard that right. There are 10 local communities in cities all over the world. These groups are led by engineering leaders just like you who wanted to create a place to connect, to share insights, and tackle critical challenges in the job. To get involved, go to elc.community. Sign up if you haven't already. If you have signed up, make sure you update your location and we'll get you plugged in. We're launching local events all the time. You can find them and get involved again at elc.community. Now, is this something that you learned or something that you created? Most of the things that I have picked up over time, I've learned software. Uh, some of it may be a variation of what I learned. You know, the best ideas come from a small variation on an already existing idea. So I, I would say it's probably something I picked up along the way. I'm also aware of ways you can do Monte Carlo simulations and so on. But that's too complicated for people to understand and align to. So I simplify it and this makes it much easier. I love it. I'll remember that too, cows. That's great. 
example, I want to talk a little bit about developing a pipeline of leadership, um, developing pipeline in general. I mean, hiring is something, there's so many open technology jobs. It's so incredibly competitive. When you're hiring and bringing someone onto your team, what are you looking for? Number one is competency. That's always the most important thing that you want. Together, what you're trying to do is to create value. You want to put outcomes out. Um, you want to make progress. You want to make progress for your customer, for your company, for yourself, for the organization, and so on. So how do I think of competency? I think of competency in three ways. One is substance. Substance is you, uh, through the conversation and through other evaluations, you get to understand, do they understand the area they're going to work in? And that may be, when I say area, it's not just about the particular piece that they're going to work on, but they have to understand the broader context in which they are, that is the business, the market, the industry. And then it has to be the set of technologies that they're going to work on as well. Then finally, they need to know how to work within the company, within a team. So I look for substance as number one. Substance is just the the breadth of their holistic knowledge, if you will. Second is depth. Uh, depth is like, can they can they dive as far down as needed to get things done? And this is about not just being very shallow and at, at, at a high level where you can speak the words, but not necessarily do things. Uh, depth is you get very quick things to when you're discussing a subject or debating a subject. You can see, you can double click and triple click and quadruple click and the person is still with you in the conversation. That's when you know that they have. One of the common things I do is I ask people, Ken, look, um, let's take the most basic of things that happens that most of us have been using for more than two decades now. And walk me through what happens when somebody types in a URL in a browser. And the the simplest of answers you get is you get a page. And the most sophisticated of answers starts with what happens first is that my browser is going to check to see if I have connectivity. That could be over Wi-Fi or a wired network. Then I typed in a URL and it makes a DNS request. And then they go on from there to all the way up to server and so on. So that's depth understanding substance and depth. Third is actually very important for me, and that's hunger. You may have substance, you may have depth, you may have all the knowledge, you may have what it takes from an ingredients perspective, but if you don't have the energy to pursue it, if you don't have the hunger to pursue it, then all of that is not very useful. So substance, depth, and hunger is how I think of in terms of uh, competence. How do you determine hunger like in an interview process? You know, the the energy in the conversation or through anecdotes, um, the best way is uh, not necessarily to get to the uh, specifics sometimes. There's a section to cover the specifics, but you can see through uh, stories they share with you of episodes in their career. I ask them for, tell me about the biggest crisis that you've dealt with. I sometimes ask people about Walk me through a career crisis you had. I said, what is the biggest mistake you made from a technical perspective? And uh, the responses to those often bring out the aspect of uh, hunger to me. But, you know, competency is only one thing. It's not just about having highly skilled people in our workforce. We need them to work as a team. We need them to understand that we are here for a mission that we are going to accomplish together, right? So it's important to have the attitude of customer first, company second, organization third, individual fourth. 
And unless we all keep that order, we'll all head in different directions and create entropy. You don't want that. Um, so the right kind of attitudes and behaviors that make somebody a good team player, that's going to be very important as well. Building a pipeline is a continuous job. It's not something that you do once. Uh, you're networking on a continuous basis. You're engaging with colleges on a continuous basis. Uh, you take every professional conversation or every networking conversation you have as an opportunity to eventually, and you go everywhere around the globe and, and make sure that one, you're, you're selling the story of what your purpose and your company is all about. You're getting people excited to join the journey with you. It doesn't stop there. You recruit people every day after they join the company. So they can continue to build great things uh, for the customer, a great career at the company, and thrive for the long term with the company. And so what's the, what's the big mission? What's the exciting journey at PayPal? Look, we are here to democratize financial services. What today's uh, ecosystem that we have still excludes 1.8 billion people in the world from being able to go and manage money. That puts them at a disadvantage. And we, we've seen with our customers many times that uh, sometimes to send money back home to their family, they have to travel halfway across town into this one store that may be able to send money to their one location that they're from. That's lost wages for them. Uh, that's lost opportunity for them. Or many that don't have a credit or a debit card and therefore sometimes can't participate on an online shopping. And you know that not being able to get the best value or deal and paying higher from their harder money, which is very, very valuable to them. There are many different circumstances where today's financial ecosystem does not include everyone. And what we want to be able to do over time is to democratize that and making make sure that we create equal access for it around the we do a lot in terms of connecting small merchants around the world, sell to every consumer in the world. And we make every consumer have access to many, many merchants around the world, creating an unlimited shelf of goods for them. And that bringing together of consumers and merchants, hundreds of millions of consumers on one hand, tens of millions of merchants on the other hand, that ecosystem is what we're building. That ecosystem is uh, what we continue to thrive in. And there is so much more to do. Address digital literacy over time. Make sure digital inclusion actually becomes a key part uh, of what this is continuously. And at the same time, build a very secure, stable, scaled, and speedy service for our customers around the world. Last time we talked, you brought up the curiosity quotient, grit, IQ, and EQ. I was hoping you could explain a couple of those to me. Oftentimes when I'm in mentoring conversations or I'm actually with new college grants that just joined the company or any other forum, people ask like, hey, is there a recipe for success? And I tell them, no, look, it's, it's a journey that everyone goes on. It's unique to us and such. But I've seen certain ingredients play a role in those that are successful. When I observe them, I see some common factors that play out. And number one is IQ. That's that competence piece that I mentioned with you. It's about a person's skills, a person's ability to, through knowledge, go and solve something. That's IQ. But IQ actually has become commodity where college, college education is more accessible today than it has ever been. Online education has taken its shape in a way that's extremely compelling. So people can actually go learn and build the skill fairly easily. 
So what that distinguishes people that have success. The second part is emotional quotient or EQ. When I talk to you about like being a part of an organization or being a part of a team or being a part of a mission, emotional quotient, your ability to work with everybody else around you and thrive as a team is extremely important. And there are ingredients to that, but I'll not go into the depth of EQ today. CQ is a force multiplier. It's called curiosity quotient. And curiosity quotient is one where you're a continuous learner. You're always a student. You're trying to figure out more about the business, about the world, about people, about technology, about problem statements, and it just drives you. It's, it's like this, probably like that nitro engine on the car. It just accelerates you in ways that you can't even imagine. And curiosity quotient is extremely critical. I particularly talk about this to people of all places in their tenure and career. If you continuously learn, if you continuously figure out new opportunities and new ways of solving, there is no end to it. There is no glass ceiling. There is nothing called potential that itself is a variable line and you'll keep going. And the last thing that I mentioned in there is the one about grid. Very well laid plans will often get disrupted. There are often situations where you're hit. It may be a career crisis. It may be a project failure. Uh, it may be somebody who is not taking to you well, whatever it may be. There are situations where you're, you're down on the ground. And in those moments, you have to dust yourself off, get back up and continue to run again. Building that mental attitude, that mental strength, to take things that didn't go like the way you expected or sometimes just came from left field, but not skipping a beat and keeping going. That's what crit and tenacity is about. It's willpower. It's staying energy. Now, those are for those situations where you need a bit of a turnaround in, in, in your career situation. That combination of intelligence quotient, emotional quotient, curiosity quotient, supported by a foundation of grit or tenacity. I think that uh, is what I've seen as a common set of traits uh, in people that succeed. Man, you got me excited. I've got goosebumps over here. I feel motivated. I want to go accomplish something. <laughs> I love it when I love talking with you, Shree. This is fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Joel. I, likewise, I know this is the second time we are speaking with each other. You just make it extremely comfortable with the topics that you raise and the conversations we have. I love it too. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure that you click subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or follow if you're listening on Spotify. And if you love the show, we also have a ton of other ways to stay involved with the engineering leadership community. To stay up to date and learn more about all of our upcoming events, our peer groups, and other programs that are going on, head to sfelc.com. That's sfelc.com. See you next time on the Engineering Leadership Podcast.